As Eckhart Tolle said, boredom, anger, sadness, or fear are not yours, not personal. They are conditions of the human mind. They come and go. Nothing that comes and goes is you. Join Sue Jackson every Tuesday at 10 a.m. for Finding Human, a look at the wonder that is the human mind, right here on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and I'm really so happy to be sitting in the studio with Craig next to me. It's nice and quiet. I've come from quite a a hectic night and a, a hectic few weeks. And my topic today is dancing in the dark. And while it might sound like a strange topic, it's actually I want to share with you a few lessons that I have learned in the last few months. Leo Piscaglio said, Change is the end result of all true learning. Well, all I can say is that I think many of us in the last few months have had to change a lot as we learn. Uh, You can SMS us on 34519 or you can WhatsApp me on 061-895-1019. Before I actually go on with the program, I want to thank you all for, I got so many messages after the show and during the show when Rabbi um, Joseph and Alon Joseph and I were on air. And unfortunately, they came through too late to read out. But thank you so much. Um, I have a few YouTubes by Leo Biscaglio and by Wayne Dyer and then a nice song at the end. So please just bear with me as you listen to those because they are what I myself have actually been listening to and I found a lot in them. Well, the first thing I want to say is that we adapt or we die. And what does this mean? It means that we are expected to wear this coat of many colors and almost be like a chameleon to change and adapt to each situation that we are in. Is this easy? It never is. And it requires great challenges and courage and uh, and perseverance. And I would like to tell you a bit about it was Tubusfrat yesterday, the the year of the trees. And I want to tell you a bit about what the life lessons that we can learn from trees, because it's quite amazing, actually. Uh, Tubusfrat, for those who, who do not know, is the, the new year for trees. And it was the 21st of January. It's uh, the, um, in Jewish wisdom. Uh, there's a lot of comparisons between the Jewish people and the trees and the fruits of Israel. So the one thing that it does teach us is that we need to be diligent like an almond. What does this mean? The almond tree is a symbol of Tubishvat. Why? Because it's always on time. Its essential quality is encapsulated in its Hebrew name, which is shaked, coming from the word lishkod, which means to be diligent. So it means that what we can learn from that uh, an almond tree is how to be reliable, punctual, and diligent. And then we get to the date palms. And in these, what does a date palm teach us? In Israel, um, the, the date palm actually even um, 
can be nourished everywhere, even in the the salty marshes or marsh of the Dead Sea, which is unbelievable. Nothing else is grown, and yet the the date palm grows and is sweet. So it shows how this can is full of sweetness of life, even in the bitter times. And then, of course, in the winter in in Israel, it's winter now. So it's it's the birthday of trees in the middle of winter, which is new life. And is and it's and what it teaches us is that if we stay connected, um, there is always new hope and new life. It's never too far away. It is there for us. Then, of course, humility, grapes teach us about humility. Why? Because. Um, our rabbis teach us that when we drink wine on many occasions in Jewish life, it's to instill the message of humility learnt from the grapes. When we are prepared to set our egos aside and start to see all of life as a gift, then the blessings we have brings joy to our eyes. So grapes bring us happiness. And then never stop searching for answers. The secret to true knowledge is to never stop searching. And the, Tal- the Talmud learns this from the fig tree, which, unlike other fruit trees, ripens little by little over a period of time. And the more you search, the more you will find. And so it says, Torah is like a tree of life. As long as we hold on to it and are willing to ask questions, to always question, it will always continue to provide us with answers. And then don't judge another person. We never really know another person fully inside and out, and often we do jump to conclusions. So what teaches us how not to judge? The pomegranate. It has hundreds of seeds hidden away in its inside it in these secret little chambers. And the, te- the Talmud teaches what a wonderful nation Israeli is. Even in the most unlikely place, Jews keep many aspects of tradition or engage in acts of kindness. So these are often hidden in the pomegranate seeds that every person does possess. And what about taking a little bite out of that opportunity? What tree teaches us that? The apple tree teaches us to sense when a great opportunity is on the horizon and immediately to seize it with both hands. King Solomon compared the Jewish people at the giving of the Torah to an apple tree, and he said, Like as an apple tree blossoms appear before it, even produces leaves, so the blossoms appear before the leaves come, so too do the Jews at Mount Sinai declared, we will do, and then said, we will understand. So the apple tree teaches us that opportunities always come with a risk. But sometimes we can spend so long assessing what the risks are and wondering if we should do it or not, that the, the time actually passes by and we never do do it. And then true duty is always found within. Appearances can often deceive so the Zohar praises the walnut as a fruit that keeps its secrets well hidden. Why? Because it's got this thick shell, and at first it seems inedible. However, when it reveal, what when it is opened, it reveals a wonderful source of protein. So the Talmud teaches that which is precious is always hidden away. 
And I, I actually like that. And it says, in relationships, often the first impressions can often lead us to the wrong conclusions. So the walnut teaches us to protect that which is of most value and to understand that there's always more to people than meets the eye. And that, I think, I'm going to cover later on. Everything has a purpose. Rabbi Avraham, I love this one. Rabbi Avraham Yitzchak Cook, who was the first chief rabbi of Israel, was once walking in the fields when a student who was walking with him uh, plucked a leaf off a tree. Rabbi Cook was visibly shaken. Turning to his companion, he said, Believe me when I say that you have not simply plucked a leaf or a blade of grass or any living thing. I've never done that unless I have had to. And he explained further, every part of the creature serves a purpose and, uh, and we need to actually realize that it's part of the divine mystery of creation. For the first uh, time, the young student understood what it means to show compassion to all creatures and that everything serves a purpose. Thank you, Craig. We are going. There is so much ego involvement that we're separate from each other and we're finding ourselves alone. And we, lie, we lack models who are willing to risk and say that my joy lies certainly in me, but the greater joy lies in the fact that I can bring others in and make myself more. I'm on rap shows all the time. And I like to do them. It's sort of mystical and wondrous because you're sitting there in a little booth and there are little lights over here, all little telephone lights lit up. Line one, line two, line three. And each one of those lines is not just a, 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 a light. It's a human person somewhere sitting out there by themselves. And again and again, I get this concept of, uh, Leo, and you say, yes. <laughs> and they say, you know, <clears throat> Last week, my wife split. She took the kids. And uh, I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. I'm all by myself. What do I do now? A woman who called and said, you know, I spent 35 of the best years of my life trying to make my husband over again. And now he's no longer the man I married. I'm lonely, I'm alone, I don't know what to do about it. What do I do? Again and again and again. And funny, they don't hear their own echoes. Eric Fromm said something really beautiful. The deepest need of man is to overcome his separateness, to leave the prison of his aloneness. The absolute failure to achieve this aim means insanity. You know, insanity comes from aloneness. There is no greater pain than the pain of true loneliness. You know it and I know it because there isn't anyone in this audience that hasn't at one time or another felt alone, misunderstood, alienated, and hasn't had to start from scratch. We are all then, he continues, confronted with the one and same question the question of how to overcome separateness, how to achieve union, how to transcend one's own individual life and find at one meant. Isn't that wonderful? At one meant. 
And this can only really be done through living relationships and living them in love. The biological sciences agree with us. Ashley Montague says, without interdependence, no living group of organisms could ever survive. And insofar as any group of organisms depart from their functioning, from the requirement of interdependence, to that extent does it become now functional and disoperative. But, he adds, whenever organisms are interacting in a related manner, they are conferring survival benefits one upon the other, so they may continue to grow and live. From talk to music, from Johannesburg to Israel, from sport to business, this is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. Now, we were in Schlange in December, and there was constant load shedding. Every day there were rolling blackouts, which lasted for two hours. And we didn't, when we first got there, we didn't know anything about this. But one day, when the first time it happened to me, I was at the Lelouchia Mall in the Woolworths food section, which is right at the very, very back of the store. There was no light at all. I was on my own, and suddenly all was pitch black. I couldn't even see my hand in front of my my face. I had no idea what was happening even. And then I heard a man talking with an Indian accent, and I said, Please stay near me. I don't know what is happening. I think he must have thought this voice was a bit daft. But anyway, very kindly he answered, Put your hand out and I will reach you. I did this. And believe me, that touch in the dark felt like a lifeline to me. A human touch of great comfort and care. And in the dark, he told me that it was load shedding. And he's holding, he was still holding onto my hand very gently. And just then the generator clicked on and the light came back on. We uh, could not see each other's faces in the dark when it was so dark. And yet we felt connected. Uh, He told me when we actually did manage to see each other and face each other, he told me that he was actually off work for two hours and to do some holiday shopping. But as the rest of the uh, shops in the mall, except for Dischem, all had to close their doors, um, he had to go home. But it was it was amazing that that uh, value of compassion, and it's a real human value. And I must admit, especially when it appears unexpectedly, it turned my fear into faith in human beings. So touching a hand in the dark is perhaps easier to trust. Sometimes we find a person by their, we do define a person by their color, their culture, their clothes. We either feel inferior or superior to them or threatened by them. And yet in the dark, we are all equal. However, we certainly don't live in the dark and we need to learn to live in the light and to learn to actually trust each other. We are living in a time of great divisiveness. I've mentioned this before. Certainly in our country, in Israel, in the UK, USA, Australia, Sweden, Europe, wherever you want to actually go on the globe, we are becoming suspicious of the other. Who are they and who are we? And then I had another very 
also very fascinating encounter. Um, it was just a few weeks ago. I was at a shopping mall again, but this time it was um, in the, on the, in the south of Johannesburg, and I was waiting for an elevator. Uh, a man was standing beside me. It was just he and I. He was a black man, a youngish black man, and I was an older black, a white woman. We smiled at each other in greeting, and then the oddest conversation took place. But right now, I'm going to go to advert, and you'll hear a short YouTube, and then I'm going to come back to our story. But aren't there ever times, because I'm sure a lot of this audience feels, and those of you who are at home feels, that there are times when people do things to you. People do things to you when you are just the victim. Hmm. Right? No. No. (laughs) No. People do things to you, of course. It happens all the time. But what happens to you in your life is you live your life inside. And it isn't what people do to you. It's how you react to what people do to you that makes the difference between you being a fully functioning per- uh, person or a victim. That's, that's the way it is in life. It's like the day of the space shuttle crash, all yeah. right? I was speaking in Seattle, Washington. It was January the 28th last year. And on the day that I speak, I don't listen to newspapers. I don't uh, read, uh, I mean, I don't read the newspapers or listen to the radio. And I want everything to be positive, and it's always very negative. Ten minutes before I go on, someone tells me about this thing, and I feel bad. And I asked the audience, what is it that made me feel bad? And everyone says, well, the space shuttle wasn't that terrible. So I said, if the space shuttle crash had made me feel bad, why did it wait 12 hours? All right? It wasn't the crash. It was how I processed it, what I did with it. That's the whole difference in life. And that's to me where but I'm But how do you from. not feel bad when bad things happen? Well, if, if, if feeling bad when bad things happen is going to improve the quality of your life, then I would, I would be here on the show saying, let's teach people to feel bad. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But, feel bad all but, day. Yeah. But yeah. that's not why I flew here okay. today. You know? you, it's like when bad things happen out there, you can either uh, get a lesson from it. There are no accidents to me in a perfect universe. There are only lessons. Everything okay. that happens is a lesson. And you so, either learn from it or you become a victim of it. Hi, YouTubers. I'm excited to give you an update about our own YouTube. The best part of your day. At the heart of your community. All the talk. All the music. All the news. Hi, FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And such a nice message has just come through from Australia. Thank you, Jude and Les. It says, Australian Bangsha tree is one of several that requires fire to germinate. The lesson might be that we need to feel pain to experience growth. Viktor Frankl said something along these lines, Sue. You'll know what the quote is, I'm sure. Thank you so much for that. It's absolutely amazing because it fits in with this. uh, I'm not going to quote Viktor Frankl right now, but what uh, Wayne Dyer was actually saying, that everything that happens actually is a lesson. So if we are burnt as that Bangsha tree is, and yet it grows beyond the burning, beyond that and begins to germinate, it's quite amazing what we can do. Now, I'm going back to my story. And what I want to say, first of all, about the first story of that touch in the dark is that Leo Piscardlia also said that too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around.
So the story that I was telling you about, in, I was in the south in, uh, of Johannesburg waiting for an elevator in one of the shopping malls when a youngish black man came and stood next to me, next to this elderly white woman who was me. And the oddest, we smiled at each other in greeting, and which I actually love about South Africa. People do smile at each other in greeting. And then the oddest conversation took place. He asked if I was okay getting into the lift alone with him. I was very startled by this question. And just then I actually looked at him properly. I, I looked him right in the eye and I said, I like your face. I'm fine being with you in the lift. And we both burst out laughing at this. And it, it you know, it. I think it was quite odd for both of us that we should look deeply into each other's eyes, literally, and see that we actually could trust each other. Anyway, something else quite funnily happened, because when the actual lift came to our floor, we got in, and there was this very large Afrikaans couple in it already, and my youngish companion and I looked at each other, and once again, we burst out laughing, and because it was so funny. Here, we had thought we were getting into the lift alone, and then we got in with these burly people who could have saved both of us very quickly if we needed saving. And um, I believe it's safe to say that um, uh, oh, and then actually didn't even uh, that kindness of his didn't even stop there because when we got to the top floor where the parking was, uh, um, it was open parking, it was raining, and he asked if 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 he could go and get me his umbrella, and he'd rush back with with it for me, and I actually said no, it's fine. I'm, my husband's going to be waiting for me, and. Uh, and we said goodbye to each other. And when I uh, got in the car, my husband asked, who was that man? And I answered, a friend. And I believe it's safe to say that neither of my friend in the dark, who put his hand out in the dark, or this friend of mine who got into the lift with me and offered me his umbrella as well, I don't think either of us will ever forget these encounters, the three of us. They are the sort that enter our souls and are stored there to remember. And it's often when we feel very alone that we need to remember these things, to feel connected and at peace. And that's why I actually called this program Dancing in the Dark. Now, to go back to... Um, connections as well. I need to tell you a story. I have my daughter staying with me from Israel and she's, she hasn't had an easy time since being with me. Um, she has been ill, but thank God she's on the mend. And she, she's here with her little baby and her baby is very socialized into uh, Israeli lifestyle. So she knows that when she's walking, uh, being pushed down a street, everyone stops to greet her, to either say she should be covered up, have uh, a hat on or a blanket on, whether it's hot or cold or whatever, because I think we all know, those of us who have family living in Israel or even just know Israel, that everyone there is a mother and a grandmother. And I must admit, Kathy's just said to me that she finds that even in South Africa with our Ubuntu, it's very much the same. So this little girl is very socialized into actually everyone patting her on the head or kissing the top of her head and smiling at everyone. 
So when my my older daughter took her shopping, um, this little girl was st- would stare at people first of all, and then if she felt that she wanted to smile at them, she would suddenly smile. So she was smiling at everybody as my daughter was shopping, and everyone was stopping to chat to her. And my daughter, not being uh, an Israeli herself, uh, she's a good uh, Johannesburg girl, was saying, "Sorry, I'm in a rush. Can't stop to chat." And I couldn't help thinking how confused this poor little girl must be from being told that she's allowed to sort of say hello to everybody to suddenly being uh, sort of rushed away because the, her auntie was in a in a hurry. And what this also showed me is that whoever comes in contact with this little girl feels welcomed, feels recognized. And how important is that for us to do to each other? To actually just spend the time of day just smiling, making eye contact, offering a, a bit of help. I, I, I saw something else this the, in the last few weeks which also surprised me. There's a man who... who um, is begging on on the side of the road. Actually, he's kind of in the middle of the road, and he has no legs. And he's an incredibly friendly man, and he smiles and he waves at everybody as they drive past, whether they are going to give him something or not. My husband said it's because as you drive past, he waves like anything, and you feel so good about that wave and that smile that you know that on the way back, you're going to stop and give him something. Anyway, I happened to be behind a car, and this woman put her hand out to give him something. It was actually a note. I'm not sure if it was a 10 or 20 rand note. And as as she handed it to him, it blew. It didn't quite reach his hand. It blew out of his hand, and the the robot changed to green. Well, she stopped her car. She got out of her car. She actually had to then get back into her car, move it slightly so that she could get the note which had uh, blown under the car a bit. She, everyone else was held up in the traffic behind her. There were about four or four cars. Nobody hooted at all. And she showed such true compassion. She then handed it to this man in his hand, and uh, he thanked her profusely. And they, we, you know, she, everyone who was in behind me, and me, myself, we all sort of waved at her because she put her hand out to wave at us to thank us for stopping. And we all waved at him as we drove past. So by that stage, the, the robot had turned to red again. So he got a bit of extra cash with it as well. But that was, what, what, there's that movie. What is it called? Is it Pay It Forward or Play It Forward? Do you remember, Craig? I can't remember myself. I'm sure someone will remember. Anyway, that was another lesson that I learned. Then what about forgiveness? Now, one of the um, YouTubes you're going to hear is on forgiveness because in this, also this last few months, I have seen many instances, whether it's at celebrations, funerals, uh, weddings, whatever it might be of all different cultures, where sometimes forgiveness has marred everything. And very often it's over money. Sometimes it's uh, Mark Wade was talking in the program just before me, and he said what amazes him is how brothers who used to play together as children and really enjoy each other could suddenly turn on each other um, when a will was about to be was was read. And you know we see this at celebrations. We we see people divided, families divided, and how incredibly sad is that? Because it doesn't just 
work for that generation. That generation is feeling the anger and the hurt, whatever it is, and whatever the reason is that they felt that they have to cut someone else out. It's not just their generation. It goes on for generations to come. And I actually know a family where the grandparents stopped, the grandfathers stopped talking to each other. Then the sons stopped talking to their cousins and the second cousins didn't know their second cousins. And so it's gone on through the generations. And until someone stops it, it goes on and on and on. It permeates this hatred and anger permeates generations. What a terrible thing to bring a child into, quite honestly, this this feeling of anger when we could be bringing them in to this feeling of connectedness. Now, this interconnectedness I have experienced so incredibly um, in the last month. Um, we, we have been um, through a few lessons, as I said earlier on, and we have re- realized how incredibly important family are. We've always realized it. But families step in to help. Uh, the community offers help. Strangers uh, send messages offering help, offering um, ad- not advice, but offering, you know, offering to go and do shopping. To, it's been quite amazing. And um, I, I really just want to say thank you so much to everyone who has, has actually stepped in to help us. Uh, doctors, physios, um, the, our GP who came out in the storm. Thank you so much, Terry Cerebro. You came out in a storm, an incredible storm, that, uh, a lightning storm that hit Johannesburg to come and uh, administer some pain-killing injections. Really appreciate that. And Karen Zinman, you know how I feel about you. Thank you so much. And then, of course, so many people have been davening and praying. And she's, um, we, we um, have I've been getting messages from a Catholic group, from a Protestant group, and from um, a Jews for Israel group. And it's been absolutely amazing to see how many groups have actually come together and the power of prayer, how it actually reaches across at the divides everywhere. There are no divides. My husband gave me this uh, story, and it's beautiful. Just let me ask Craig. Craig, how much time do I have there? Okay, then I can read it. But just hang on. He's showing me also that another quote, that another, thank you so much. A quote has come through, and it's once again from Judy. Well done, Jude. Found the Viktor Frankl quote. What is to give light, uh, sorry, uh, must endure burning. Loving your program. Thank you so much. And I'm so pleased you came up with Victor Frankl's quote because I've been sitting here trying to think of my thoughts that I'm actually talking about. But at the same time, behind me is this, what what was the quote? I was going to be caught out. Thank you for not catching me out. Right, let me tell you about this real purpose of, of your life, which is a story that my husband actually found for me. It says, in a small town, there lived a very wise man who was the head of the local administration. Everyone respected him and all his views and opinions were well regarded and many people came to him seeking advice. 
His teenage son, however, was very lazy. He wasted his time sleeping or spending it jolling with his friends. No amount of advice from the wise man made any difference to his son. He wouldn't change at all. Well, the years passed, and as the wise man grew older, he began to really worry about his son's future, and he recognized the need to give something to him so that he could care for himself and his family-to-be. One day he called to his son to his room and he said, My son, you are a young man now and you must learn to take responsibilities and understand life. I want you to find the real purpose of your life and when you find it, remember it always and it will lead you to a life full of happiness and joy. Then he handed his son a bag which contained four sets of clothes, a pair of shoes, one for uh, uh, pairs of shoes, one for each season, as well as some fresh and dry fruit, a little money and a map. His father continued, I want you to go and find a treasure, and I have drawn a map of the place where the treasure is hidden. The son loved this idea, and the next day he eagerly set out on a journey to find the treasure. He had to travel very far across forests, plateaus, mountains, and borders. The days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months. And along the way, he met a lot of people, and he was helped by some with food and shelter. He also came across robbers who tried to rob him. Slowly the seasons changed, and so did the landscapes along with it. When the weather was unpleasant, he halted for the day, and he continued his journey when the weather cleared. Finally, after a long year, he reached his destination. It was a cliff, and the map showed the treasure being placed below the cliff, close to a large tree. Upon spotting the tree, he began to dig the surrounding ground, but found nothing. He spent the next two days looking and digging and digging for the treasure. By the third day, he was so exhausted that he decided to leave. Disappointed over his father's lie, he headed back to his home. On his way back, he experienced the same changing landscapes and seasons. But this time, however... He halted to enjoy the flowers in spring and the wildlife and the beauty of the countryside. The supplies he carried were all gone, so he learned to hunt for food. He also learned how to sew his clothes and to shelter himself. He was now able to determine the hour of the day by the position of the sun, and he was able to plan his journey accordingly. He also learned how to protect himself from wild animals. On his way back home, he met the same people who'd helped him earlier in his trip. But this time, he stayed with them and he helped them in some ways to repay them for all their kindness. He had realized how kind they were to an ordinary passerby who had nothing to offer them in return. When he reached his home, Two years had passed, and he greeted his father with warmth. The father immediately jumped to his feet and hugged his son. How was your journey, my son? Did you find the treasure, he asked. The boy answered, The journey was fascinating, father, but forgive me, for I wasn't able to find the treasure. So maybe somebody took it before I reached where it was hidden, he said. 
he surprised himself by what he had, by what he had just said, and also that he wasn't at all angry at his father for sending him on such a long journey without finding the treasure. There wasn't any treasure in the very first place, my son. The father answered, smiling. The boy, but and, he, and the father went on. The boy said, "But why did you send me to find it?" And the father said, "I will tell you why. But first, can you tell me how was your journey to and from the place, and did you enjoy it?" Of course not, father. I was worried someone else would find the treasure before I did. I was in a hurry to reach the cliff, but I did enjoy the journey on my way back home. I made many friends, and I learned so many different skills as well as the art of survival. There was so much I learned that it made me forget the pain of not finding the treasure. His father said to him. Exactly, my son. I wanted you to lead your life with a goal, but if you remain too focused on the goal, then you would miss out the real, on the real treasures of life. The truth is, life is not all about a goal. It is more about experiencing and growing with it every single day. It is when we set out in life without trying to associate any meaning or greater purpose to it that we find the treasure of true joy in each moment. Thank you, Leon, for that. And forgiveness, forgiveness. You know, there's a wonderful ring to the word forgiveness. It's an action word, and it suggests a letting go, a soothing, a healing quality, a reunited, a bringing together again. An acceptance of the humanity in you, as in myself, children, and you were all children once, and you still are. If you get in touch with it, are natural forgivers. It's the parents that won't forgive. You know, the children fight. Two minutes to get there later, they're together again, having a good time. Parents interfere, and they're never speaking to each other again. That happens all the time. And most of us are still bearing grudges against our parents. For goodness' sakes, let it go. They may not have been perfect. They tried to do the best they can. Why are you still bearing grudges against ex-husbands and wives? You know, boy, I hope his new wife kills him. <laughs> Between lovers, you know, I'm convinced that if you've ever loved someone, you will always love them, and that if you can turn around and say, "I hate someone that you love," you never really love them. You wish them well, even if it means they're going without you, because you love them. Grudges against society, grudges against our children. I know people who even bear grudges against God. I'll never forgive God for what He did to me. What an ego! <laughs> and we even bear grudges against ourselves. We talk about what we should have done, and we spend our life talking about what we should have done. You know, what the hell can you do about what you should have done? Forgive yourself. I was a jerk then. Now I'm so smart. 
Some of us maintain these grudges for a lifetime. I'll never forgive him. They say drooling. <laughs> yeah, I'll forgive him when I get even. <laughs> you know, to be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. Why not relax and leave vengeance to heaven? Bearing grudges only hurts you. Forgiveness forgives you, releases you. Gerald Jemplowski says, hate, bitterness, vindictiveness are overwhelming, overpowering, self-defeating, and intellectually as well as emotionally depleting. You know, life is just as simply a, a, a group of lessons. We learn and we learn and we learn and we learn. Learn, but don't vindicate. It only punishes you. And forgiveness is a choice. You know, you can choose to forgive. Or you can choose forever to avoid the person, to attack the person, to abuse the person, to hate the person. We're so quick to condemn. Isn't it amazing how many relationships have broken up simply because of, of a word that was or was not spoken? A thoughtless action a mistake in judgment, an unfeeling criticism. It's enough to devalue years of relationship, of sharing, of warmth, of togetherness. And what have you accomplished? And we engage in scenarios of blame and of hurt. Forgiveness begins with honesty and with empathy. We have to have what I call sympathetic identification. Remembering that nothing that you have ever done, I have not done to. And will always make mistakes. But how wonderful to be able to live being forgiven and to forgive. Gandhi, the wonderful man, said, Go ahead, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Therein lies the challenge. That doesn't mean that you don't have a right to scream and to yell and to beat the wall and even to moan. Oh, it's wonderful to moan. <laughs> How sad that we say that you are mature when you are stoic, you know. He left you. He's a rat. And it hurts. And you walk around saying, I don't care. What do you mean you don't care? Lock yourself in a closet. Draw his picture on a wall. Pow! Smack! <laughs> you know, a wonderful thing happens to you. It goes away. Don't deny it. Accept it. But don't hold on to it, for goodness sakes. You know, I, I know a man who objected to the fact that his daughter was marrying this young boy at the university and disowned her, said, I never want to see her again. He wouldn't go to the wedding. He wouldn't see her. For 14 years he didn't see his daughter until he had a heart attack. And then she came to his bedside with her husband. And amazingly enough, he was a nice guy. <laughs> and he had given up his daughter in the wonder of 14 magical years together because he would not forgive her.
for leading her own life. Remember that you're, you're forgiving as much for yourself as you are for others. Because without forgiveness you can't move forward. You're chained. Actually the other person is pu punishing you because you can't be fully you. There's no acceptance of human behavior unless you are a forgiver. And when you free yourself from these chains of grudges, you become able to look for other alternatives. So let it go. Stay relevant and up to date. This is 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and you've just been listening to Leo Biscardlio on healing yourself and others through forgiveness. I actually found myself laughing, even though I've heard that quite a few times, but I loved his never forgive God. What an ego, and also how wonderful it is to moan. Well, I must admit it is. Then I just wanted to say that, you know, we need to remember Frankl, Victor Frankl's Three Sources of Meaning. His creative, thank you, sorry, Craig was moving the mouthpiece for me. His creative, um, ex the three ways of meaning through creative deeds, through experiential, and through attitudinal. Now, what are these? Well, for instance, the creative, what, what the work we do, which gives our life purpose. And otherwise, we're pretty aimless if we have nothing that we feel that we're actually giving to the world, the gifts that we have been given, we need to give back to the world, and um, which is part of that work, finding the purpose in our creative uh, ways. And then the experiential one, you know, the love is the strongest bond between people and will definitely lead us on to many other things. And many of the great works of art, for instance, come from um, uh, uh, Sorry, Craig's just shown me something, and I was just uh, wait, wait a minute. Many of the great works of art I was going to say were inspired by love, including, for instance, the love of nature, of God, of, of uh, relationships. Uh, we're breaking for an advert. A frequency like no other. One hundred one point nine High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm back again. Poor Craig was, was flashing this bit of paper at me to say we had to go to ad break and I wasn't seeing him. So that's why. Anyway, so Victor Frankl's three ways of meaning, creatively, experientially, and of course our attitude. And um, our attitude is in, well, for instance, in suffering. It's a source of, of, uh, of our meaning as well, of how we deal with it. What is our attitude towards unavoidable suffering often? And um, it's to actually understand that, that, that often pain does lead to growth. As Judy uh, quoted, and I re-quote again, what is, what is to give light in um, a must-endure burning? And thank you once again for that. And what I would like to just uh, end with is this. We're going to be ending with a song, by the way. And the song is such a nice song. I'm hoping you're going to be enjoying it. It's called um, Song Into the Light by Matthew West. But I'd like to end with this quote by Gary Zukov. The essence of a person is not the clothing she wears or the things he does.
People who love them do not stop loving them when they change clothing or do other things. Your essence is not even your history, your culture, your race, or what you think and do. It is your soul. I wish you all a very good week. Thank you.